On today's show, a crossover edition of the podcast with myself and Tony East of Locked on Pacers previewing the game on Tuesday. We'll have a full breakdown of what's to come. Trey and Halliburton, offense, defense, which should be a lot of points, a fun basketball game, and more. And all of that is on the way. You are Locked on Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Welcome, crossover show, Locked On Pacers, Locked On Hawks, in-season tournament time, as good as it gets here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Tony East, I host Locked On Pacers, you've probably heard this other guy many a time as the host of Locked On Hawks, especially if you're listening on the Locked On Hawks feed, he's Brad Rowland. Brad, do you like the in-season tournament, do you hate the in-season tournament, what do you think about what's about to happen today? I am pro in-season tournament yes. at this point. I think I'm, we might be alone on this, uh, you and I. It, I, I, my, I would say Hawks fans are more mixed in my my experience so far, but I, I generally like it. And my my overarching take, Tony, is that what's the harm? Like the games yes. have to happen anyway. Let's just, let's just have some fun. Yeah. It's still I mean, a regular season game. What's the downside? Agreed. Actually, I will, I will step on my own toes. If guys keep slipping on these courts, yeah. I will say there is a downside, but they can easily fix that. Just play normal basketball court. Yeah, they don't have to use these. Uh, I, I know they're aesthetically pleasing or unpleasing, depending on which court <laughs> you might look at. But yeah, they don't have to do that. And uh, knock on wood, the Hawks have played uh, two of these games and no one slipped. So I'm uh, I'm I'm sort of insulated to that. But I, I agree that like, that'd be the only downside would be some weirdness there. Bright red tonight, correct in Atlanta. No, it's blue. Have you oh, seen that's these? Right. So I saw it. I Hawks, actually like that one. They have these alternate interesting courts that are uh, to go along with their jerseys. They're not really an official color, but uh, they're actually pretty, by in-season tournament standards, pretty soft. Like they're not, it's not, it's not an oppressive color in the way that you would think. They do have this, some like gold in the middle. There's like a trophy in the middle, all that stuff. It's kind of a soft color. It's, it's pretty easy for the, for the eyes, in my opinion. I, I actually, I actually saw it because didn't Princeton women, and some other women's college team play on it before a Hawks game one day. Sure, I'm sure they did. I don't <laughs> there, know. Was, uh, there was a college yeah, game on it. I think. Yeah, yeah. And look, the Hawks, the Hawks played it. They lost on it, so maybe Hawks fans don't like that very much. They lost their one game on the, on it so far. But I went in early that day, and I was like, you know, it's it's definitely different. No question about that. But it's not like some of the oranges and reds we've seen that are like actually like hard to watch. It's not that. Yeah. It's not quite that bad. It's, it's this very soft blue color. Yeah, I watched a Bulls game, and you can't see the ball. It's hard to follow it yeah. on the red. It's brutal. So that's good. Um, I don't know if you know this, Brad. Lots at stake tonight because if the Pacers win, they win the group already through three games because they beat Philly and they beat Cleveland already in in-season tournament games. So they'd have three wins against the three teams that could all get to 3-1 and one and tiebreaker, the first one is head-to-head. Since the Pistons cannot get to 3-1, and one, who the Pacers haven't played yet. Pacers can clinch the group as early as Tuesday – which is crazy. The Hawks can still also win the group, and the Pacers game is now very important because the Hawks have started okay throughout this. So a lot at stake, which I I can't believe I'm saying that for a game on November 21st, but for real, there's actually a lot on the plate for these teams in this game. It's kind of pivotal in deciding the final standings. It really is, and I have a bit on my podcast where I make fun of the notion of must-win games in the NBA regular season. It just doesn't ever happen. Like I, I laugh every time. Every time a fan mentions that, it's like, no, nothing is must-win. But for the Hawks, they—if you care about the tournament, again, if you care about the tournament, 
it actually is a must win. The Hawks have to win this game or they're probably dead. So like, it's one of those things where I, I, it's still funny to me to say that about a game of November, but if the Hawks go to one and two with a loss to Philly and a loss to Indiana, I think they're, they're like mathematically still alive, but it, it, they'd have to have it go very, very perfectly against them. So like, it, it kind of is a must win for Atlanta. It's weird to say that. I, I think if the Hawks lose, the only way they could make it to the playoff bracket is like a Pistons upset over the Cavs. Or yeah, something. it's like it's. I, I looked at. I, I, I'm not bored one with this, but yeah, it, it takes several different results, including point differentials. They have to blow the Cavs out in their fourth game on the road. Not super likely to do that. Uh, look, they got, they have to win on Tuesday. If we're just <laughs> just very simply, 99 percent of the way here. If the Hawks want to have a chance to advance, they have to win on Tuesday. But I actually like that it's that simple. That like for fans, that it's like. Pacers win, win group, Hawks win, still alive. Like that is fun. That is that is something more to a normal regular season game, and yeah. it's not a negative because unless someone slips and gets thrown on the court. <laughs> so who, this is great. I'm a big fan of the end season tournament. You know what else I'm a fan of that I noticed I've done a thousand times this season. Pacers just played the Magic. They played the Hornets. They the Wizards don't really count in this, but I feel like a lot of Wizard Pacers opponents. Excuse me. I end up saying something to this effect. Two young ascending teams in the Eastern Conference facing off tonight. And I'm going to say it again for Pacers, Hawks, parallel pass. Hawks definitely ahead, obviously. They've been postseason several years in a row now. But where do you feel like the Hawks are? Are they trending upward in, in their trajectory? People were higher-ish on the Hawks coming into the season. Quinn Snyder's now running the show. It was fun to chat with him during the preseason. How have you felt about where Atlanta is and is headed right now? Yeah, I think that it's it's kind of a weird spot because they are still fairly young, but it's it, it's very different than Indiana or Orlando or a team that hasn't like they're that's clearly trying to still build. The Hawks are not, not really in building mode anymore. Like they're not a title contender either, so they're they're in this weird place where they are. They do have a pretty young roster. Their best players, for the most part, are pretty young, but they're not necessarily like on the straight trajectory up either. If that makes sense, and they're six and six right now. Um, there's been some angst locally about that start. I think if you look a step a step deeper. They look, they look, they look okay. They've played a difficult schedule so far this season. Their point differential is positive. Um, yeah, I, I'm in a place where I think that it's good to be like cautiously optimistic about the Hawks, both both short term and long term. They put a lot of eggs in the Quinn Snyder basket, as you referenced before. Like he was their big change in the offseason. They traded John Collins for nothing. Other than that, like they basically put it all on development internally of players and Quinn Snyder. And we, if you look again, like a half step closer. Their shot profiles improve, like stuff that, that that coaches can kind of dictate. They've done pretty well so far through twelve games, so uh, they're on the way up still, I think. But it's not a, an arrow pointing directly up like some of these young teams, where it's like, okay, it's all sunshine and rainbows. We're on the way up. The Hawks have expectations, both internal and external, locally, and um, they haven't been great, great, great so far. But they they expect to be in the playoffs, and that's a different sort of baseline than a lot of these young teams. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Pacers and Hawks have something in common. That's that their local fan base would feel better if they had just beaten the Hornets. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the Hawks. That, that Hawks game was the season opener, and uh, there was a little bit of grace, I think, because it was the season opener and it was on the road, and I was there. It was a weird game, but yeah, I've, that's the one. All respect to the Hornets, the one bad team the Hawks have lost to so far is the Hornets. And it, but it was the opener. It was, you know, it was a weird thing. Um, but other than that, like no one wants to hear this. I, in fact, I did a show yesterday, and no one, no one wants, wants to listen to this. And I got feedback about this. But the Hawks don't have any other bad losses. That's their only, their yeah. only bad loss, and it was the first game of the season. So it's like, eh, it's, it's okay. No Knicks twice, right? Heat, and I forget your other loss. I was looking Knicks twice, on. Heat at OKC, and then, uh, <laughs> and then Philly, and then Philly on, and then Philly at home. It's like, okay, none of those are. 
granted the heat didn't have jimmy so that made it a little bit worse but it's the heat the heat have voodoo power right. we all know this so and beating the pals beating the timberwolves which is very impressive this season milwaukee too yeah and they have some good wins yeah they have it's it's, it's been fine so far i would say it's like it's been like a c plus start b minus it's not been great it's it's been okay three of the pacers five losses are orlando chicago and charlotte but they've also beaten milwaukee cleveland twice and philly so they're kind of in the same boat where it's like everyone's kind of like how could you not win these winnable ones but take down these titans like it's hard to kind of gauge where a team is at in that situation yeah indiana's uh, as i'm sure you cover every single day on this podcast your team every day of course um very volatile it seems like i mean last night i watched the first half which was not, not the half uh the, the game on the game on sunday was not the half to watch if you're a pacers fan the first half they were better than the second half it seems like i saw the final score but uh, the first half was like what are we doing here in indiana what's going on uh but maybe it's just some variance it felt very weird explaining. Like I had to lead my show with that. Like if you didn't watch this game and you're here to hear about what happened and you saw that they lost by 12, please ignore that. They were awful. <laughs> it was worse. Yes. <laughs> they were terrible. Yeah. It's, they, they are volatile. Um, sort of, I think it's because so much of their high level success is on one player and he is awesome and can do it. Like Philly was a top five defense when they played them. Now they're 12th because the Pacers tore them up. The Magic and Celtics, the two best defenses in the league, are the only two teams that really slowed Tyrese Halberton down to the point that they looked miserable in those games. They lost by 50 in Boston, right? So those are, that's, if you're the Pacers, the concern of where the volatility is coming from is if teams have found a way to slow down Halberton, the, the team has been poor. But the volatility is like if they don't figure it out or Tyrese's adjustment is faster than the other team's adjustment to him, you're screwed because he's going to have – you know, 25 plus points and 12 plus assists and their offense is going to be 120 points per hundred possessions at least with him out there. So as long as he's faster or thinking quicker than the other team, they're going to be really tough to beat, And they have been. Yeah, it seems like uh, just uh, kind of tease a little bit ahead. This feels like a game that could be uh, quite, quite electric and high scoring. Not a lot of defense being played by these teams so far this year. Two very good offenses that play fast. It's there's might be some popcorn to be shared. And some point guards who are very highlight-filled in a good way, in a productive way. Let's talk about that in just a second, Brad. I think before we do that, we got to talk to everybody about the wonderful people over at FanDuel. The NFL is cruising. The Colts had the week off. I don't think the Falcons had the week off. I should know that, but I don't. And you can score early this NFL season over on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook right now. New customers on FanDuel get $150. That's a lot. In bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. If your team wins that $5 Moneyline bet, $150. How about that? If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action than right now. NFL's cruising about halfway done. NBA's going. NHL is rolling. You can get in on all your faves there at FanDuel. And their app is super easy to use. They've got a wide range of betting options. They've got your over-unders. They've got your spreads. They've got your player props. Whatever your favorites are. FanDuel's got them. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Kick off the NFL season. Get it on the NBA action over at FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Back here crossing it over. Locked on Pacers, Locked on Cavs. Thanks for making either of our shows your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. We talked about them, and I want more people to hear about the Timberwolves. So Ben Bikin, the best team in the league right now. Minnesota Timberwolves, and eh, that's maybe a stretch. The best team in the West right now, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Hear more about them on Locked on Wolves here on this crossover show fitting. Let's talk about two guards who can cross over and beat their defenders and make defenses react and are really good. Trey Young, Tyrese Halliburton, 
Brad, do you agree? It feels like Trey Young always has pretty good games against the Pacers. You know, that feels right to me. Um, you know, I haven't admittedly done a, a deep dive on that particular uh, stat set against Indiana, but it feels like it's a friendly matchup to a lot of opposing guards, all due respect to Indiana right now. Uh, and look, yeah. Treyon can kind of use that. I mean, I, it's just, I said this on, on my show earlier. Um, it feels like Trey Young's local approval rating is the lowest it's ever been, which might seem interesting from the outside. And it kind of is to me too. You know, he had a very bad, for instance, he had a very bad playoff series a couple of years ago that people kind of want to skate on for the most part. But yeah. Uh, granted, he's not shooting the ball. Well, I mean, you know how that goes, Tony, if you don't make shots, uh, if you have bad percentages, it's easy for plans to be like, Hey, that guy not playing well, cause he's not making shots. And Trey's been missing shots. He has career worst efficiency this year. So I think maybe he's looking forward to playing against Indiana, especially after three days. The Hawks have three days off before this game. So some practice time, some tweaks. They don't have to travel at all. Uh, it's a pretty friendly spot for the offense. And I think that, uh, you know, Trey, and also something about Trey that I know is true. Um, he likes to get up for some big opponents, especially opponents at his position. I'm sure he has seen some of the buzz that Tyrese Halliburton has received in the last <laughs> couple of weeks. And even if you want to admit that, Trey likes to get for that, that, that kind of thing too. So yeah, I think that he will probably be looking at shots a little bit, mostly because of the defense, to be honest about the Pacers, but also because he just kind of needs a game that he makes shots and has a big game. Okay. Per game in his career, Trey Young against the Pacers, 26.3. That is his eighth highest of any opponent. 43% from deep in his career against the Pacers. He had that 50 pointer in India. I remember where, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. So maybe I'm um, misguided by one 50-pointer, but 50 is a lot, and it's kind of wild to see it in person every single time it happens, even though I'm sure you've seen many a Trey Young 50-point game. Yeah, I splits are down this year. I do just from a career arc perspective, right? Great score, shooter from deep, really good passer, similar skill set to what makes Halberton so great yeah. on offense. What has kind of helped – I mean, the shot has escaped him this year, as you said. But what has kind of helped Trey Young evolve past that skill set? Like, what's the, well, what is the next level for him? And can Halliburton replicate those skills? Is there a different path that makes sense? Obviously, there's this whole defensive side of the ball that they both struggle on. But yeah, what has kind of guided Trey Young forward from that base in his career? Yeah, it's it's interesting because they're both much different sizes, of course, but they, yeah. they do kind of play similarly in a lot of ways. Uh, Trey, I think it can hamper him that he's so small, but also he's figured it out as well as anybody basically ever has at that size. Like he's able to get to the line despite being six, one on a good day. Like he's that's, that's the area that he, I think differentiates, differentiates himself against a lot of guards, no matter how big or small they are, is that he is so, so good. And look, it gets picked on by a lot of people too, about how he foul baits and look, he does, he does foul bait, but he, he but he does it in a very smart way. And when you're not making shots, it's something that can lift your efficiency up to respectability when you get to the line 10, 11, 12 times a game, which has happened so far this year. The Hawks, it, the Hawks would be in trouble without Trey getting to the line as much as he does. So that's an area I would circle. Like that Tyrese is not like he's, he's even skinnier than Trey. Like it, it, it won't always be easy, but I think he can, that, that's an area to maybe low hanging fruit and the passing. I mean, this is the first time actually in, in Trey's career under Quinn Snyder that he's played in a kind of a different offense, which I'm attributing some of the slow start to um, they're playing a little bit more, I don't want to say egalitarian, but they're they're able to play from different angles with this current scheme. It's not just Trey running high pick and roll every single time on the floor, which it ha which happened for the first several years of his career. That's a, probably a little bit a little bit of an overstatement, but that was a lot of what the Hawks did for a long time. And I think that he is the kind of guy who has to adjust to that a little bit more. 
and play off the ball better. Tyrese hasn't really had that problem. He did that as a even, even in college. I know you know that, but he was not always the primary guy, even in college. Right. Trey's always been the primary guy at every level he's ever played at. So that that tweak has been it's more that's more of a Trey tweak. But both these guys, for me anyway, my favorite thing on with Trey has always been his passing. It's the same with Tyrese. I love that about both these guys. They're for my money, the two best guard passers in the entire league. Um, you could throw Jokic in there, of course. Other guys make other cases, but they are two of the top five passers in the league. Agreed. So it's like the, the similarities are pretty obvious, but they do have kind of divergent paths to get here. Now they've kind of come to the same spot, and it's like, all right, what's the next thing? Um, you know, Trey has, has the advantage too of being able to have proven it more in the playoff stage. He had that one big playoff run where he was the best player on a conference finals team. Obviously, Halliburton has not had the chance to do that yet. So that honestly, it's I shudder to think what the perception of Trey Young would be nationally if he didn't have that run because he already gets kind of piled on sometimes. And you can still say, hey, he was the best player, best player on the conference finalist team. If he hadn't had that, it might get dicey. But anyway, that's a long answer. But I feel like they're, they're very yeah. similar players in a lot of ways. The biggest one you said to me was the free throws. So this year, Halburton being too, uh, in a good way. This word always has a negative connotation, but in a good way, Halburton being a little more selfish. Hunting for his own shot because mm-hmm. it's an efficient play when Tyrese Halburton tries to score. And now he has upped his free throw attempts per game to 4.3. That is lower than Trey Young has had ever. Rookie yeah. Trey Young was over five, <laughs> right? So, like, that is a huge separator between them and their efficiency. Halbert makes up for it by being a much more consistent shooter. He's been over 40% every year. Yes. But that is, like, to me, one of the marks of a star is they can get to the line all the time. They live there. They can, that helps them in the half court. They can bail their team out on inefficient nights. And Halbert is such a good scorer that it hasn't mattered. But, like, at some point... I think him upping his free throw rate, maybe significantly, is going to be a big part of his star turn. And Trey has that. You know, the important difference you said is their height difference, right? Yeah. That's why Trey gets picked on to the extent he does. Halbert does too, defensively. But yeah, you want to say something? Sorry, I can no, tell. I, w- I was going to say, uh, <laughs> I think you, I'm, I'm glad you kind of led with Halley not being the best defender right now. I think because he is not 6'1. Um, and Danny back to college, even he, I think his rep is probably better than his actual events has been so far. I think there are most people, I think it's maybe turning a little bit towards people figuring it out. He's not a great defender right now, but when he came in the league, it was like, Oh, this guy's going to be a game changer defensively. And that, it, that is not, that is not materialized. And I, I've always liked him, but that, that part of the floor has not really happened. Yeah. Me. He reads the game really well. So he like does. he can, he can get those steals in the passing lanes and like be a good team defender, but on the ball, like you see teams hunt him late in some games. For a reason, right? Trey's yeah. had this problem too. And Trey's improved, by the way. Like he's not, he's bad. Don't get me wrong. He's bad. <laughs> but I think that he has gone from being what many describe as the worst defender in the league. That was like just casually thrown out all the time. Oh, he's the worst defender in the league. He, he's not the worst defender in the league anymore. Like he's, he may be, maybe he's a 20th percentile defender instead of a fifth percentile defender. But that, that gap does matter. matter. He, he's got, he's gotten better. He's gotten feistier. Um, I think he figured, he figured out what he can and can't do. He's got good hands. Something that Howie does too. He's got great hands. That can be a, a small thing. Just dig, you know, digs and getting deflections and like just being an active part of the defense. I am gonna bet on Trey Young's. I'm not. I don't bet on anything, but like verbally <laughs> bet on yes. Trey Young's law, like season futures being really good because of something. This is such a blast from the past, but I remember Mike Conley when he was with the Jazz and Quinn Snyder was head coach talking about how you need a PhD to run Quinn Snyder's offense because it's kind of complicated and you'd always see it with the jazz. They would start making this up 11 and nine, 12 and eight. And then they'd have this December, January schedule. Like 
this team's unbelievable. They're the best offense in the league because everybody would kind of figure it out and it would all click. And like, if you someone important gets hurt, maybe it can't happen. Or if there's a big trade, maybe this never clicks. But like it happened with Utah a lot on those Mitchell Conley Gobert teams. And I wonder if when Trey gets it all through with what Snyder's doing this year and the Hawks as a team do as well, and they have you know Jalen Johnson looks great, for example, like all these different pieces playing well if they're just going to have this stretch in january like oh my god the hawks look great and then trey's stats are going to look unbelievable on the stretch like that no that's a great point i'm jealous of that point that you made i, I sh- i'm going to steal it and use it on my show yes uh, in the future i'll find a quote for you <laughs> but yeah no it's it's a good point and uh you know much was made about quinn taking over last year mid-season but he came out in the preseason was like by the way we put in nothing last year essentially yeah. he was uh, so it was more about like building relationships and Quinn was like, no, this is the, this is actually my first season when it comes to like putting my scheme in. And if you want to frame it positively, the Hawks have a top five offense right now in the league with Trey shooting this badly and without any of the PhD stuff that you just mentioned. So like, <laughs> if you want to kind of, kind of pick the arrow up on the offense, I would probably lean that direction too. Like there's a lot of good signs, especially when you factor in that Trey is not going to do this. Like he's going to be better than this for the rest of the season. I found the exact quote from Mike Conley, so you can cite as much as you want. Uh, Emmanuel okay. Moutier is involved somehow, so that, wow. that was upset of the century. All right. Uh, but this is after Conley got traded to the Jazz. He said, me and Emmanuel joked the first day of training camp, I think you need a PhD to play here. We, they didn't tell us that when we came. So. I, I'm, I'm sold. I am gonna. I'm, I will attribute that to you, not even just Quinn Snyder. Like, actually, Tony Tony East told me on a podcast. No, it was, uh, that's, a, that's a great nugget, though, seriously. And if you watch the Hawks, especially compared to, and you're very familiar with this, Nate McMillan was the previous coach yeah. and yeah. Uh, Nate does not have the same kind of PhD level offense. It's, it's very much a mismatch hunting, like old, more old school approach. And Quinn is just the complete opposite of that. Nate McMillan is going to take his time and pass up good shots for great shots. Cause that sometimes is, the great shots, not there. So you have correct. to take a mid rate shot, all those things. <laughs> and it's great. He's a great coach. The first year he's there putting in some defensive stuff. And then, uh, well, it, it levels off. It yes. levels off. There is a peak to the Nate McMillan experience. One more segment here talking Pacers, Cavs. Or, no, that's not the team they play. Pacers, Hawks. I don't know why I said Cavs. <laughs> I have the Cavs schedule in a search bar because I was looking at all the in-season tournament schedules. That's why I said Cavs. Before we finish up today, we're going to talk to you guys about the great people at Prize Picks. It's daily fantasy sports made easy, and it's so simple. You pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections. Watch the winnings roll in. For example, I'm not looking this up. This is the exact line, but Trey Young, more or less than seven and a half assists. You pick that, that's how you play. And they have some new stuff on prize picks. For example, combo projections across sports in their specials league. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three-pointers made plus receptions. How about that? Or you can use their reboot policy. How about that? If one of your players gets injured, boom, rebooted. How about that? One of the only daily fantasy sports platforms is an injury insurance policy. Prize picks an absolute blast. It's super simple. You can make your picks in a minute or less. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, enormous selection of players and stat types. Check it out at prizepicks.com and go to prizepicks.com slash LockdownNBA. Use the code LockdownNBA when you do so for a first deposit match up to $100. Heck yeah, prizepicks.com slash LockdownNBA. Use that code LockdownNBA for $100 first deposit match at prizepicks daily. Fantasy sports made easy. Back here talking Pacers and Hawks on Lockdown Pacers and Lockdown Hawks. Brad, I need you now to give me a nugget about the Pacers that I can use 
for the rest of the season <laughs> and a tribute to you. The whole I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fail on that almost certainly here on the podcast. I think you, your, your list of Pacers nuggets is going to be much more, much longer and more fruitful than mine. So I didn't, I didn't carry my own, my own weight on this podcast. I don't know why I remember that Conley hey, quote so much. Hey, that whatever works, man. I, I, there are things in my head that just pop up sometimes. I'm like, why, why am I thinking about that right now? I don't know what's going on. Uh, I, you know, I, like you, we we cover other teams on occasion, cover the whole league on occasion, and it's like stuff just it just cooks in there every once in a while. It never. We we were talking in the locker room before the Pacers last game. Me and another reporter for the team about a random NFL game between the Steelers and Dolphins that was so muddy. It was three zero was the final score. <laughs> no one could get any yards, and we both remembered the game vividly. It was in two thousand eight. It's like how does this stuff just like uh, never get out of your brain? Sports. Um, do do you think the game total for points reaches two sixty? That is, I think, going to be man. This game. Uh, I I would probably I, I can't wait to see what what the number is according to our friends at Fanduel. It's going to be very high. Yes. Might be one of the highest of the season. That seems too high, but uh, I wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> but is it? I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, you know, especially because the Hawks want to play fast this year. Um, unlike in Indiana, I think it's been better anecdotally from what I have seen at dictating tempo. Like they're yes. just like they're really really dictating. In the way that Hawks, the Hawks have been dragged down by some teams to playing slower on some nights. That won't be a problem in this game because Indiana wants to play even faster than Atlanta does. So I think the Hawks are comfortable playing fast. And Indiana obviously is. So yeah, if shots fall and if threes fall in particular on both sides, they, this could be in the 130s, like on both sides. That would not surprise me at all, which would be wild. Uh, but I could certainly see it happening if both teams just shoot an adequate number of threes and make them. Basically, it's like then you know, you know how that is. A lot of NBA games, the point totals and the, and the game flow dictates on three point shooting and if they both if the both teams make shots it could be 142 to 139 and i wouldn't be shocked <laughs> i really wouldn't be the pacers just played the magic right we talked about that a second ago the magic were fresh off of two games against the bulls where the final score was like 99 95 in both of them and then the magic got over 130 and the pace and the pacers were in the 120s like the pacers magic was almost at 260 <laughs> like i just it's crazy well, how many of their games and, get and, and also to add to that like i know that Pace is not always the best possible indicator on both ends of the floor, but this is number one versus number three in pace. Indiana's yeah. number one, Atlanta's number three. Plus these plus these quality offenses, they're not just playing fast and playing defense. Like some teams actually play fast, but they don't score. These teams are both offense first teams with offense first guards who run. Like that's that's kind of a simple formula for a lot of points. Yeah, and the Pacers outside of that Orlando game, it's crazy that this game just happened because I would have had a lot of better points if it didn't, um, have basically been able to set their speed in every game they played except for in Boston. But Halburn didn't play that game, so it's like, duh, of course Different they're not going to be able to. Yeah. So because of him, like they whip it in fast from out of bounds and they get into their action like four seconds into the shot clock and all these teams are trying to adjust by pressing and getting up in him like really early in the shot clock. And that's all great. But like, like I said earlier, if he adjusts before you do, that might not work for a whole game. So it's going to be interesting to see how that bears out because there's a chance this game is just like 12 second possession, open three, 12 second possession, open three, <laughs> 12 second possession shot in the lane. And I don't know if that necessarily favors either team. So it could just come down to better shooting or one role player stepping up or a couple big defensive moments. And that that'll be telling in this game. Yeah, I, I agree. And look, somebody has to get stops eventually. The, we, we, we've kind of joked around it. Neither one of these teams is playing great defense right now. No. I think the Hawks probably have better personnel defensively than Indiana great. does. 
Um, so maybe that's a differentiator in this spot. Um, one area that the Hawks have struggled in in this recent downturn where they've lost four of the last six is defensive rebounding, but that's not really an area that I think Indiana is going to like bludgeon them on the offensive glass. Like they're capable of being okay there, but the Hawks have really struggled there against like the likes of New York, who's number one in the league, and Philly. And um, that size is there's not really a size differential in the way that there has been in some of these matchups. So, man, it's like these teams are kind of mirrors of each other. I, I just kind of trust the Hawks defense more than Indiana's. So maybe that's the, and also this game crucially is in Atlanta. I think that. At tip off, unless there's a surprising injury on one side, the Hawks will be favored at FanDuel. I would I would expect, despite the fact that Indiana is two and zero in the group, um, the game's in Atlanta, and I think the market probably has these teams relatively similar at this point. Maybe a slight lean to Atlanta still after this start. So, I mean, it's like it, if you're the Hawks, you got to win at home too. The Hawks have been bad at home this year. I think they're two and four at this point at home. That's not what you want to do. You got to you got to win home games if you want to get where you want to go. Every single coach, whether they're a robot or not will tell you they have to win home games. So it's like, yep. maybe that's kind of the difference in this game is that Atlanta's playing at home and Indiana's not. Brad, I'm going to hit you with some lazy analysis, so get ready. Um, the Pacers' good defensive players, or most of them, Miles Turner's obviously excellent down low, are perimeter guys who are like 6'5"-ish, right? Bruce Brown, Aaron Neesmith, Andrew Nimhart if he plays. So that is actually mostly good against the Hawks, yeah. who aren't a huge team. But there's a guy on Atlanta who I said his name for a second early, and we haven't talked about it at all who's initiating, who looks faster, who's making quicker decisions and did not play, I believe, or kind of stunk, I can't remember, in the preseason against the Pacers, and that's Jalen Johnson. And if he plays at his high level tonight, I think that's going to be significant because, like, a big part of you watch the first half, the Pacers struggle against the Magic is, like, Bruce Brown's their best option on Franz Wagner. That's like a six-inch difference, right? Like, it's their best option. I'm not blaming the Pacers for choosing that. Yeah. It's just you're going to give up points there. It's just going to happen. So that is where I think – the Hawks can find some advantage. Obi Toppin will be on Jalen Johnson at some points, but like at some point, Aaron Eastman's going to come in if he's healthy. He hurt his shoulder in the last game. So that there, that is the thing where I'm like, okay, the Hawks have this size advantage at one position, not a bunch like the Orlando did, but at one position that could swing the game significantly in their favor if he plays well. Yeah, Jalen's been an X factor for the Hawks all year long. Like he's kind of having a, a second year breakout in year Great three, year. if that makes sense. Like he, he's in year three right now, but his rookie season, he basically didn't play at all. And last year he kind of had a, a pseudo rookie season and now he's playing um, a lot and play, actually I think he's third of the team in the minutes right now. So yeah, his breakout is happening. I think his efficiency is going to come down a little bit because it's just been not, not his fault. He's just been ridiculous. It's like 45% from three and it's, oh he's going to, he's going to cool off a little bit at some point, but I agree. Like he's a X factor for them every night. And he did play. I looked it up briefly while you were talking and he did play in that Indiana game preseason. Okay. He just, he wasn't very good in that game. He's two, I think he was two of eight. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I would, I always circle him, but I especially in this matchup circle him and the other guys, um, not really Trey, I would circle DeJounte Murray. Cause I think DeJounte Murray is going to get the Tyrese assignment for, for sure. a large portion of this game. And DeJounte's defense has come and gone, let's say in the last year and a half since he got to Atlanta, I think he'll be up for the game. I'm sure. But if they let how I mean, this is very simple. Speaking of lazy analysis, if they let Halliburton go off, they're going to probably be in some trouble if they can keep Halliburton in some reasonable range against this team. Because we talked about it before, Indiana is as reliant on Halliburton as any team is on any player. Or we put us on first take with these takes, man. You know what I mean, though. Like, <laughs> yes, it's not. Right. It's not that Indiana doesn't have other options, but like this is a this is a one. It's a one star team right now, and if you can keep him somewhat contained, there's a path to bottling up not necessarily stopping indiana because this is a really good offense when he's especially when he plays but um yeah just not let him go crazy would be a, a key step and i think murray's going to be assignment number one on that yeah part of the pacers improvement from last year is their bench has been ridiculously good this year yeah so they have survived the minutes without him 
in ways that they didn't last year. But yes, he is super significant. And that cross match in general is going to matter, right? Because Bruce Brown's probably going to be on Trey, I would imagine. So yeah. if he can defend well-ish, that would be huge. And he can kind of initiate. You know, he had a good game against Orlando. He was the only starter who played even a modicum of good basketball on Sunday. If he can initiate well with Trey, presumably on him, although maybe they would hide trunk somewhere else. I don't know where. Um, I think he'd be an X factor on the Pacers side as a guy who could swing that because those cross matches are going to dictate a lot of the responses to the game, who's playing well, how that all works will be extremely significant. Anything else on this game? Are you hype for NBA Cup action? Uh, I am. It'll, it'll be interesting. I'll be in the building for it on Tuesday. There you go. Uh, I'm Again, the urgency level is one that we just haven't seen in a November game in mm-hmm. my recent memory. So I actually want to see how the Hawks respond in general to like having a game that I think they could reasonably say before the game, they kind of have to win. Like they have to win this game. So that's a, it's just a new, it's a new phenomenon. I think they care speaking to people behind the scenes. I think the Hawks do care about the tournament. Are they living and dying by it in the way they would the playoffs? No, nobody, nobody's doing that yet. And especially in the group stage, but they do care. So maybe like it's a, it's a 10% up, uptick in, in, uh, in attention level. And again, they had three days off. And usually when, te- when teams are three days off, they can play faster. They got a little more pep in their step. Your legs are there and they're at home. Like I think if the Hawks don't start hot in this game, I would be a little worried. But um, yeah, it should be one that should be close, should be entertaining. And I'm looking forward to it. Brad, I don't know if your desk is wooden, but the Pacers had four days off before they played the Magic, and they were very rusty. So. Well, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Please maybe, knock on wood if you maybe can. That, maybe, maybe that fourth day is the is the is the X factor there. No, I'm kidding, but uh, yeah, okay, maybe knock on wood, I guess. But no, sir, I, I'm looking forward to a fun game. I, I, I can't imagine this game not being fun, honestly, on some level. Um, so uh, maybe I'm jinxing it, but I'm I'm looking forward to a fun basketball game. Rick Carlisle said it. They talked to the team about the standings. Everybody knows what's at stake. It's going to be fun. If you want more on this, Locked on Hawks has plenty more for Pacers people. And Locked on Pacers has plenty more for Hawks people. Should be a fun one. I'm on Twitter at Tony R. East. Brad's there at BT Roland. You can find his work on his Patreon and at Locked on Hawks. I cover the Pacers for Forbes SI and here on the Locked on Pacers podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you soon.